0: Hi, my name's Ali Pitts, and welcome to this bonus episode of Rusfals Unite, a Russian and Soviet movie podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking to Dr. Samuel Goff, the editorial director of the streaming service Classiki which specialises in films from Central and Eastern Europe, the Caucasus, and Central Asia. If you're new to the show, this might not be a bad place to start, actually, as I'll be serving up five recommendations from... Classicky's film library, and then Sam will be giving a little bit of context to those films and making some suggestions of what to watch next. Plus, I do refer to some back episodes of this show. Classicky is available in the US and UK. You can sign up for a free trial at classicky.online, And if you'd like to get a whole year's access to the service at a 50% discount, you can do that with the code RUPOD50. That's R-U-P-O-D-5-0. Okay, so without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sam Goff. Hi, Sam. Thanks very much for joining me. So you're... An editor, a writer, and you describe yourself as a, a recovering academic, and you've worked with Classicky since uh, 2021. Could you describe um, a, a little bit more about yourself and and your work with Classicky? Uh,
1: thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for giving me the chance to talk about Classicky and everything. Yeah, so I'm a, a editor and a writer, like you say, uh, with uh, interest in... Broadly speaking, kind of post-socialist Europe, Uh, I used to work for, sadly now defunct, a magazine called The Calvert Journal, uh, which covered, you know, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, the Caucasus. Uh, I worked as a lecturer at the University of Cambridge, uh, teaching 20th century Soviet and Russian history and culture uh and since 2021 i've been working with Classic uh doing editorial and and programming work uh so yeah that's, that's me
0: cool cool uh so long time listeners will will know that i spoke to uh season curator olga delyatskaya just before Classkey launched back in February twenty twenty one, time flies. It's, it's it's been over two years since then. So how has Classkey evolved as a platform in that time? Uh, yes, I mean I wasn't
1: there for the initial launch. I I, I joined the team shortly afterwards. I mean. What's happened is that we've expanded the, the number of films in our permanent collection and, and the range of films. Um, we started programming outside of the former Soviet Union. So outside of Russia, Ukraine, the Baltics, the Caucasus and Central Asia into uh, Eastern Europe more broadly. That was a process that we were already kind of engaged in before. The full-scale invasion, um, and obviously it's it's been very much accelerated by that. At this point, we don't uh, program or screen any new Russian films. Um, we've lost a number of our of our old Russian and Soviet titles from the library. Some are still there just because we already had them, but now uh, in terms of bringing on new material, uh, we're focused much more on other other areas of kind of former socialist uh, Eastern Europe. So we've been focused on kind of getting some reputa- representation in our library from some of the major movements uh, of Eastern European film history. So we've got some of the Polish school. We've got some of the Romanian new wave. Uh, we've got some classic Hungarian cinema and... Depending on when this episode goes out, but in the next kind of two weeks or so, we'll be bringing on a number of titles from the Yugoslav Black Wave. So we're we're looking to kind of cover our bases, as it were, in terms of the film history of the region, and just in general to uh, to expand our programming more. And we also do uh, a fair amount of in-person screenings. We organise those in London and elsewhere, and we do partnerships with with festivals. As well, so kind of bringing festival programming to an online audience. Um, so yeah, it's basically expanding, expanding and contracting. Uh, yes, according to as 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 people who who deal with this region have been have been doing over the last year and a half.
0: Yes, the ability to improvise is uh, is definitely very very important. And yes, as somebody who lives not that far from london but far enough that it's a day trip when i when i go i really appreciate the fact that as a streaming service you do provide access to to these films for somebody who lives in in a place where repertory screenings aren't really a thing they're kind of a thing but they're not not in the way that they would be you know in a in a major metropolitan centre center like new york or london or chicago or la or wherever yeah. I, mean, so. I mean
1: it's uh could get into a very long discussion about
0: um the political
1: economy of kind of uh, cultural distribution in britain but um
0: you yeah we certainly I mean, could we, we
1: do we do try and um we do try and organize screenings where we can in cities outside of of, of london of course. um for instance we've got a partnership that we started last year and we'll we'll pick up again this year with a new film festival in Glasgow called Simonstadt, uh, which is the Eastern European film festival uh, run run up in Glasgow. So we'll be working with them. We'll be up in Glasgow screening some silent Armenian cinema.
0: So the format for this special episode then is is going to be, I've put together my five recommendations for you, dear listener, to check out from Clasky's catalogue. And then, Sam, you're going to jump from my (laughs) recommendations to essentially, uh, if you like the sound of this or if you've already seen this, then why don't you check out such and such based on that recommendation. That's a wonderfully concise uh, explanation. <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back for that. Um, yeah. So, so without further ado, I'm going to go on to my first recommendation. And I'm delighted that you mentioned the screenings that Classic and your, uh, uh, overarching organization, Akina Classica, organized because this one, um, this first one eccentrics directed by eldar shengalai from 1973 i've now seen uh, twice and the second time was actually at uh, a, a screening that uh, that you organized um, in london quite recently um so so yes eccentrics um uh it's a i would just, i would say it's a it's a darkish comedy uh it's it's delightfully goofy it's Essentially, about this young man who, uh, after the death of his father, he goes to a, the, the nearest, the nearest provincial town, kind of to seek his fortune slash pay off some local debts that he has. Um, he runs into trouble with the local Tsarist, uh, essentially gendarme slash, uh, uh, like prison warden and uh yeah uh chaos ensues you could say um and yeah it has it has a delightful mixture of slapstick and whimsy it kind of reminds me of more sort of zane you know if if, if people will be familiar with the distinction between more serious coen brothers films and the more zany coen brothers films it's I think I think it has a, a certain um, similarity to Zany uh, Cohen's output, so that's sort of like a, a I think a a good frame of frame of reference for uh, for what that is, and and a lot of people also draw comparisons with early Terry Gilliam, just in terms of the uh, uh, like the visual inventiveness um, as well. So, anything I should. You want to add, Sam, on, on Eccentrics that that, uh, that I may be missing there?
1: Well, I think the main thing I'd say is just to kind of highlight Eldar Shankalaya, the director. He's someone who, as you, as you know, because you saw one of the screenings, he's someone who we had a, a fairly extensive season on earlier this year because he, he turned 90 earlier this year. He's still around. He's one of the last kind of big... Soviet era auteurs, who who's still going. He's a really I mean interesting is, is a slightly dull word. He's a kind of remarkable figure. He's I think he's probably undervalued outside of Georgia. I think you know, Cinephiles or kind of, you know, fans of Soviet cinema are probably aware of you know the likes of Tengiz Abuladze maybe or 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 Otto Ossiliani. But Shengelia I think is perhaps more popular at home than abroad. I mean he shares with with someone like Yosiliani that to be kind of reductive, that kind of like Georgian lyrical sensibility that um that that kind of like lends itself to, as you say, a kind of whimsical but still quite profound kind of folkloric or kind of uh a parabolic take on 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 issues of kind of art and life and politics um and i mean he was just on his biography he he later became a very important kind of political figure in the movement towards georgian independence and then you know as a parliamentary figure in georgia after after the fall of the soviet union so yeah he's uh he's a very interesting figure something like eccentrics in particular i think is definitely more of a cult hit in georgia than than abroad it's possible that some of its humor is quite you know kind of context specific although i don't think there's anything in there that would kind of detract from, from people's enjoyment um you're right. i i i agree with I agree with what you say about Terry Gilliam or the Coen brothers. If people are looking for maybe more familiar reference points, um, it's certainly uh, to use another word. You use goofier than than a lot of his other films. Uh, and of those films, if 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 people are if people are looking for a kind of recommendation uh, of of where to go next, then I mean, I guess the the obvious answer, if you haven't already seen it, would be Blue Mountains. From 1983 which is definitely his most famous film um one of the more famous kind of satires that was uh, allowed to be released within the Soviet Union uh basically a, 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 a satire on kind of bureaucratic absurdism set inside a, a publishing house in 80s in 80s Tbilisi um, but on classical we've got a number of his films so we've got that. We've got an early film he did in still in the 60s called The White Caravan, which is a much more austere and a classical drama. Or we've got um, his film An Unusual Exhibition, also from the 60s, which has maybe got slightly more in common with eccentrics. It's, another, it's more comedic, um, concerned with issues of creativity in the face of material hardship. So yeah that's 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 Shingaliya definitely worth a deep dive at some point if if people aren't familiar with him. Already.
0: Awesome. Thank you Sam. Yeah, so um Blue Mountains has been on my radar for a long time and I still haven't got round to it yet so I I will definitely be pushing it up the 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 watch list. And yeah, really great to highlight the like the satirical um uh content of I mean even even eccentrics it's it's set during the tsarist era but you can read it as a critique of authoritarian and arbitrary um uh, like power structures in general which is you, it it always surprises me the level of satire that did actually um get through and was was released during during the soviet era it just seemed to be. He had to be quite, quite clever about it and make it, you know, make it seem like, oh no, no, we're not, we're not criticizing the Soviet re- regime. We're, we're we're critiquing the the, uh, the predecessors. So there's no apl- a- applicability at all. Uh, yeah, often. I mean, it's
1: it's a film about a guy. Ultimate slight spoiler alert here, but it's a film about a guy using his imagination to break out of prison. Which is, uh, you know, it's a fairly pointed uh, <laughs> narrative. I mean, it's it's obviously a misconception that um, uh, that I'm sure your listeners are aware that it's a misconception. You know that, that 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 stuff like this subversive, critical, satirical films, books, art in general wasn't allowed in the Soviet Union. I mean, obviously, it was. I mean I think the the filmmaking style that people refer to as kind of classic Georgian lends itself to kind of abstracting these kind of political comments into a more kind of folkloric or parable style style structure, which kinda of obviously like removes a little bit of the more kind
0: of like immediate political danger associated mm. with it. But it's a great example of of that. So moving from a recommendation that was that did have reasonably broad release when it was made um to my next recommendation uh conscience uh, which is a ukrainian film from 1968 um directed by uh, Volodymyr denisenko um so that was actually put on the shelf uh, and until uh, until the late 80s and the glasnost uh, period so uh, that is, it's a it's a World War II uh, film and as far as I'm concerned, it belongs alongside Come and See and uh, and uh, Larissa Shepitko's uh, The Ascent as just one of the great World War II films of the Soviet era. But to call it a Soviet film, it's like... Well, it's made during the period, but the authorities did not like it, um, and I can understand why. In in a sense, it, it, it's just it's probably too too real. Is how is how I would say. Like the partisans are not depicted as as conventionally heroic. They're clearly brave, but they're. Also, rather, rather inept, which leads to some of the just nail-biting suspense of of the film. Um, and yeah, it. I feel like it's a slightly tough recommendation because is it is not what I would describe as a as a fun watch. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, and that's uh, that's why I would dr- draw the. Draw the comparison with, with Come and See and the Ascent. It's probably not as operatic as 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 Come and See. It's much more stripped down, but in terms of conveying just the excruciating position that those who found themselves in occupied territory during during World War Two, um, yeah, it just brings that. It just puts you in the in, in those in those people's shoes in in a in a very very compelling way, um, and I'm really grateful to Klasicky for bringing it to to a, a wider a wider audience um, because it's uh, I, I was checking it out on Letterbox and I saw it's only been logged 130 times, which is which is really low for a film that is so brilliantly made um another interesting detailed bring in in passing is that the score which really really enhances the atmosphere is by uh christoph penderecki who um uh if you're fans of uh, of, uh, johnny greenwood of radiohead and you know uh hollywood composer fame is is a huge influence on on him so um not a fun time watch but if you have any interest in in war films this this should be definitely um on your watch list so uh yeah um definitely check that one out so um sam do you have anything to to add on conscience or anything more broadly on on ukrainian cinema on klaski i
1: mean that's a punishingly broad question i mean there's so <laughs> mu- there's so much to be said about about this, because there's so many different kind of historical angles that a film like *Conscience*, which, like you say, is, is yeah, criminally overlooked, there's so many angles that it opens up. I mean, Denis Senko is uh, suffered more than most from the Soviet kind of attitudes towards what was what was perceived as Ukrainian nationalism. He was arrested in 1948 before he ever uh, ended up as a filmmaker for what at the time the charge was bourgeois nationalism, which is basically kind of any affront to the kind of transnational ideology of, of the Soviet states, so any kind of like affirmation of the specificity of kind of national experiences or cultures. And then, I mean, after, after Stalin's death in 53, he gets rehabilitated, he's released, he ends up working under Dovzhenko uh, and working at the Dovzhenko studio in Kyiv. The f- conscience is the result of a, a collaboration with a screenwriter called Vassil Zimlyak. And it's largely, my understanding is that it's largely autobiographical on Zimlyak's part. Zimlyak was from rural Ukraine that was under Nazi occupation. I mean, all of Ukraine was under Nazi occupation, but he had this specific experience of of rural Ukraine under Nazi occupation. And uh, Denisenko kind of took on this, this job knowing it would cause trouble, I think. I think he technically shot it as a student diploma film so that it wouldn't have to be too closely scrutinized by the censors. But as you mentioned, that didn't work and it was... It was it was shelved. I mean, the question of the representation of the Second World War and of partisan resistance in the parts of the Soviet Union that were occupied, so Ukraine, Belarus, most obviously, is super thorny. I mean, we could we'd be here for hours um, <laughs> if we if we worked through that. I think it's, it's interesting that you brought up the ascent by Larissa Shapiko, which again might be a slightly more familiar title for people to compare this to that is also a film about partisans in occupied territory but i mean the films are they bear a lot of comparison they're both effectively kind of existentialist dramas that use the kind of context of occupation to kind of stage this dark night of the soul in denisenko's case quite literally a dark night (laughs) for the latter half half of the film. But whereas Shapiko ultimately kind of sees refusal to collaborate as this kind of basic spiritual waterline that that the Soviet soldier has to kind of stay above, um, Denisenko, like you say, is much more, if not sympathetic, then we might say pragmatic about the experience of being under occupation. There are characters in his film who are literally collaborators with the occupying forces, but they're not portrayed as, you know, kind of morally bereft. They're portrayed as being in an impossible situation, and ultimately their collaboration doesn't spare them either. And it's that kind of elision or obscuration of, of the kind of the, the idea of a kind of like Soviet cause over overweening Soviet cause that kind of like overrides any kind of like local or personal consideration. It's the absence of that from conscience that I think made it basically undesirable. I know you could also talk about it as as being part of this movement that we now call Ukrainian poetic cinema in the late 60s, early 70s, which is a very important movement in, in Ukrainian and in Soviet film history.
0: Sure. Tell us a little bit more about that and the examples that you have on E. So,
1: I'll try and keep it briefer <laughs> than I've managed so far, but basically this is a movement that grows out of a, a, a desire to represent the cultural linguistic social specificity of ukrainian experience on screen produces a number of films which are rated as you know the, the most important in ukrainian film history the one that most people would probably have heard of is Sergei Parajanov's shadows of forgotten ancestors which is seen really as the film that kind of kicks it off that's in 1960 1965 and yeah, kind of sets the tone in that it's it's based on folkloric sources and it has a kind of because it's a kind of extra realist, magical realist, kind of expressionistic uh, take on this kind of like folkish culture, it's set in those region- regions to the south and west of Ukraine that are, if you like, the least Russified, the least Sovietized in the kind of Carpathian region yeah and, and Parajano's film is is followed by a couple of others I mean so just if people want a recommendation based on conscience itself, then we've got on classic key uh, two films which are very important in Ukrainian poetic cinema which are both set during the Second World War and both deal with this question of occupation, resistance and the idea of the national versus the the soviet cause so the first one would be Boris Ivchenko's uh Anichka from 1968 and then the second one would be Yuri Ilyenko's uh, the white bird marked with black from 1971 uh they're much more colorful less brutal <laughs> takes on 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 the subject matter but they do help situate conscience i think within within you know what was going on in soviet cinema in soviet ukrainian cinema at the end of the 1960s
0: wonderful thank you sam so the next recommendation then i have um also deals with the subject of of memory uh is actually my first post-soviet uh, recommendation and this is Khrushchev My Car, um, directed by Alexei German Sr. from 1998. So, way back in an early season of the show, I, I covered my friend Ivan Lapshin, which is also unclassy, uh, which deals with early ish Stalinism. Uh, but Khrushchev My Car tackles the very end of. of Stalin's Stalin's life. It doesn't focus on Stalin himself. It, it it focuses on a a doctor who's who's caught up in the in the doctor's plot. Um, but it would make a very very interesting triple bill with um, Amanda Unnuchi's The Death of Stalin and uh, Sergei Losnitz's, uh State Funeral. Um, and often it's a bit of a cliche to. Describe films of it as immersive, but I think Hrostoliov, my card, deserves that, that moniker. I, I would, I would say it's a film that I almost feel like I was dipped in. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's just, uh, uh, something, uh, again, like, like with, uh, with Conscience. Um, it's not a fun time recommendation, but it is, it is just a brilliant piece of cinema that really, really needs to be needs to be checked out. Um uh yeah, uh, anything you'd you'd like to add uh about uh about German based on what I've said about Christoly off my car.
1: Again, with with danger here of me uh <laughs> running uh running my mouth a bit too long. I love Guerman. Um he would be on a very short list of the greatest directors of all time for me. Um where to begin? I guess Chrustulov is really important in kind of Russian film history. Uh you know, that is the film history that has emerged since nineteen ninety one because it's like it's the culmination of a project that German had been kind of working through uh over the last over the previous kind of couple of decades and it's a kind of culmination that he could only have made once the Soviet Union no longer existed. So German's father Yuri German was a quite famous quite popular um author kind of a socialist realist state approved author of of detective uh novels basically. So, you know, kind of a regime a regime author if you like, wrote mm. books about noble Stalinist KGB agents, like successfully tracking down enemies of the people. And my friend Ivan Lapshin, which you which you mentioned from 1984, is a direct adaptation of one of Alexei Giaman's father's own books. And what he does in kind of adapting and mutating his father's work is he starts this this process of excavating the the memory and the history of his father's generation that the the generation that made stalinism that committed the crimes of stalinism so for german it's this very personal project to uh immerse the viewer in in this history and to kind of excavate the kind of cynical strange impulses that motivated it um and Crystal of My Car, which is about, literally about the death of Stalin, like I say, it's he, he wouldn't have been able to get away with this, a film this horrible, a film this cynical, a film that directly spoke to the figure of Stalin himself. He wouldn't have got away with this even during Perestroika, so he had to wait until, until the mid-90s to, to get round to it. But like I say, it's kind of a culmination of all of his the work that was started in one of his, his earlier Soviet Soviet films. And just, yeah, just to show my personal prejudice, I think it would be worth watching it alongside Iannucci's death of Stalin film only in order to expose the total vacuity of Iannucci's <laughs> completely pointless, um, <laughs> completely pointless attempt at uh, satire. Um, I mean, it, it, in terms of of where to go next, I think probably you should start with uh, earlier German films and work yourself up to Khrustylyov because not only does his kind of treatment of the material develop over time, but also his style kind of develops and deepens and becomes a more intense version of itself. So if you start with a film like 20 Days Without War from 1977, which is on, which is on Uh And then work your way through my friend Ivan Lapshin, uh, and then up to Hustulov, my car. You'll see the style, that immersive style that you described, uh, evolve and become more claustrophobic, more anti-realist, more immersive, uh, more disorienting and bewildering. Um, and you'll see him kind of like gradually work through this sordid family history and this this sordid national history at the same
0: time wonderful, okay, so my next recommendation again it follows the memory thread uh this one I feel like is a is a is a much easier sell uh but it's tale of tales uh directed by Yuri norstein from uh nineteen seventy nine and it's a a thirty minute animation um that it's uh, co-written by uh, Lyudmila uh, Petrus- Petrushevskaya, um, and uh, this combination of near universal experiences, but also memories of uh, that tie in very specifically with the 20th century soviet experience but also uh probably have uh resonances uh more more broadly i'm i feel like i'm struggling to describe it because it is it's so singular and the 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 storytelling is very it's non it's non it's non-linear it's sort of associative uh the mood's quite melancholy but there's also plenty of moments of of humor and just the intricacy of the uh, of the animation is is just breathtaking uh, as well so um it's if you if you enjoy animation a- at all or history or it's it's just wonderful um uh, so so yes <laughs> uh anything anything you'd like to add on that one sam um,
1: well i sympathize with your struggles to 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 describe it um because it is extremely singular yeah nurstein is fascinating another fascinating figure um this is the last this is from 1979 if I remember that rightly, and that this is the last thing, he's still alive, this is the last thing that he completed. Um, yes,
0: I should mention that his his nickname is is the Golden Snail. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, which, I mean, I think he's probably earned that in the years since this, because at the time he was probably working at a fairly reasonable pace, but it's since then that he's uh, he's turned into a snail. Yeah, so, I mean... <sighs> What to what to say about Noshtin? Noshtin is is beloved in Russia and in the former Soviet Union. Um, he made a film called Hedgehog in the Fog, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of or seen. Ten minute animation about a hedgehog in some fog, which is it's a it's just a it's a total classic. It's amazing, and that film and this film are great examples of of. Works I made ma- made I guess nominally for children, but that reveal the their makers kind of like deep respect for children's minds and children's ability to think associatively and to uh, not be too concerned by you know narrative sense and, and boring stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's I guess it's it's nominally about the memory of the Second World War. But it's also a, a cute story about a little grey wolf singing nursery rhymes at the same time. <laughs> it is, I mean, we should, we should also mention Nurshtain's kind of unique animating style, which one of the reasons he had to work so slowly because it was a very painstaking process. I'm not a technical expert on this by any means, but my understanding is that it involves hand drawn pieces of paper suspended between several layers of glass and then filmed from the top down through that glass to create this impressionistic, kind of very soft focus kind of immersive uh, space. I'm not doing it. See, I I can't describe it. (laughs) Just watch it, people. If you haven't seen it
0: it. (laughs) you'll be blown away.
1: I mean, what he's been doing since 1979, which is now what forty something years, forty four years, is he's nominally been working on his animated take on the Gogol short story, The Overcoat, but he basically got lost in the process and he's he's not finished it and obviously I doubt he's gonna finish it now. He's a very old man. Uh, but that's one of the kind of great unfinished or kind of lost films of you know, Russian film history or certainly of animated film history i mean if people if people want to hop off from tale of tales to something else uh, uh on classicy, i mean i've got two recommendations here i think if you if you're interested in soviet animation which is like in, you know incredibly rich topic that I think a lot of people aren't super aware of. You can, If you go to Classic and, and, and find our animation category, you'll see it all there. We've got some different Nurstains, we've got some you kind know, of classic fairy tale adaptations from the, the state animation studio, which is called Soyuz Multfilm. Uh, one, thi- one, one I would highlight that we're particularly proud of is uh, an Azerbaijani animation only 10 minutes long, from 1969, called Jitdan, which was made by uh, two men called Ahanachi uh, Akhundov and Yelchin Efendiev. This is completely newly restored by the National Film Studio in Azerbaijan. Uh, and it is basically the first uh, Azerbaijani animation and kick-started a little kind of golden age of, of Azerbaijani animation. Uh, in the 70s so we're, we're very proud of that that's a very rare find i guess if you were interested in that question of like the memory of the second world war and how people in the 60s and 70s in the aftermath of the war metabolized it and the experience and the memory then you could also look at something like i am 20 by marlon hutsiev which is about the young generation that kind of inherits the world after the war and the kind of spiritual crises that they that they experience as a result of this kind of tainted inheritance.
0: Oh, definitely. That's a great recommendation. And uh, once, once you've had, a, once you've uh, checked it out, then please do also uh, listen to our episode on "I Am 20 if you haven't already. Thank you, Sam. So my last recommendation then is, uh, speaking of uh, of directors that we've covered on previous episodes of this show, is a is a film by Kira Muratova. Uh, this one's from 1978, and it's uh, translated in English as Getting to Know the Big Wide World, or sometimes Getting to Know the Wide World. And uh, unusually for Muratova, uh, it was shot at, um, at the Len Film Studio rather than um, uh, for Odessa Film. I would say it's again it's hard to categorize in a very reductive way you could say it's a romantic comedy drama but I think that would that would give you misleading ideas of of what it is it's uh, uh about uh it's a it's a love triangle uh, it starts off with a a, a couple uh, um, who are working on a on a on a building site, and then, and then a, a um, another man is 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 added who also works on the the building site as the as the third point of that uh, that triangle, and really it 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 goes it goes from there, and it's uh, it's again hard, hard to describe. Just go and watch it. Um, but also I think it's uh, Muratova's first color film, um, as well, and seeing her just sort of joyously exper- experimenting with uh, with uh, with color and and cutting and also I wouldn't say it's straightforwardly a a feel good film but it's also it's also much more cheerful than some of her her other her other work I would say all, all, all of the films of hers I've seen have a playful element. But this one, it's it's definitely the most fun of the ones that are, that I've seen so far, and yeah, it's as I say, it's just just beautiful to to look at, and just um, it it's a good time, I think. Uh, uh, From a so, Rattiver, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I am grading on a curve, but uh, yeah, Sam, is there anything you'd like to add on that one?
1: Oh, yeah, I love this film. Um, you're a man after my own heart with these these recommendations, I have to say. I think this is my favourite Muratova film. I was I was pondering this uh while I was listening to you then. I was thinking Yeah, i d I'm fairly comfortable saying that. I mean I get it so you did mention this, it's interesting kind of biographically from Muratova. This is basically the only film that she gets that she makes between nineteen seventy one and the end of perestroika almost like I mean, she was really this was really the dog days she was not popular with the authorities uh she probably couldn't have got uh, another film made in in odessa at the time but like you say she gets this invitation from leningrad from lenfilm to go and make a film there and it gives her this this just this brief window to 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 make something in her own style, in her own mean. Um, and maybe that contributes, I don't know, towards it being slightly more playful than some of her other films. And like you say, slightly more relatively feel good. Um, Len Film is, it's its own story. I mean, it had a reputation at this time under Brezhnev for kind of fostering and uh, allowing for basically Soviet, what we might call Soviet art house. Uh, Katriona Kelly has, has recently published a book called Soviet Art House about Lenfilm and about his reputation in this period. But yeah, uh, getting to know the big wide world. Like you say, it's got Muratova's taste for kind of histrionics. It's got her oblique editing. It's got her plays with perspective. It's got her kind of, uh, her singular perspective on kind of um, womanhood in particular her kind of woman's gaze interrupting what we might what we'd usually call the male gaze i guess and one thing i love about it is that like in the middle out of nowhere there is a fairly extensive cameo from ludmila gochenko who is who was like a star of S- stalinist and kind of 1950s like musical comedies She's right, in, uh, she's one of the leads in Carnival Night. If anyone's seen that famous '50s post-Stalinist musical, and she just turns up in the middle of this kind of odd, off-kilter Maratova film, um, which I always enjoy as a bit of kind of film history, self self-knowing kind of reference. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean. in we do have Muratova's first two films on Classic E, which should, are mandatory as far as I'm concerned. So if you haven't seen Brief Encounter or The Long Farewell, uh, then you have to start there. If you're interested in Len film, I guess you could watch, let me think what Len film titles we would have that would fall under this kind of Soviet art house label. I guess 20 Days Without War, which is a Alexei Guillemin film I already mentioned, that was, that was made at Lenfilm. Film. Uh, and that was another example of Len Film giving a director who was considered slightly dangerous the resources to, to, to make a film largely unin, unhindered. Not on, in terms of Lenfilm Film classics that are not on classic Slightly awkward sentence. Um, there's all of the kind of early Alexander Sakurov films like uh, like The Lonely Voice of Man and um, uh, Empire, Painful Indifference films films like that but yeah I mean start, start at the beginning with Murata and just watch all of them because there's no, one, there's no one like
0: her. Wonderful thank you so much Sam and thank you for your time it's, it's been oh, really good I hope you've enjoyed this special episode And thank you again to Sam Goff for joining me. If you're based in the UK or the US and you'd like to check out the films we've discussed, head on over to klaski.online. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you'd like to get a whole year's access to the service with a 50% discount, please use the code RUPOD50. That's R-U-P-O-D 50 thats rupod O D five zero. Because I can... Uh, Before we wrap up this episode, here are a few more recommendations from the Klaski Library that didn't come up during my conversation with Sam. Those films are Ilita, Chapaev, Little Vera and The Lord Eagle, which I've covered on the show previously, as well as Three Poplars in Plyushchika, which I discussed on an episode of The Projection Booth. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show, so please check out the show notes for this episode for some of the ways you can get in touch. And if you're watching slash listening to this on YouTube, the comments section is right there, but, you know, please be kind. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe if you haven't already, review us on your podcast platform of choice, and do recommend us to anyone you know with an interest in film and or Russia, and the surrounding region. I'd also recommend following Klaski on social media, especially Letterboxd, if you're on there, so that you can see what they've got going on. Again, I'll be putting links in the show notes. Okay, that's it from me for this episode. Thanks very much for listening, and dasudania folks!